0: Turn if you would to Psalm 66 in your Bible. Going to just I think get into this psalm tonight. I trust the Lord will encourage our hearts. For the choir director, the title says a song, a psalm. And we just sang uh, one putting of the words to tune with uh, some English rhyming. But the text says, shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name, Selah. Come and see the works of God, who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land, they passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever, his eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves, Selah. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer you to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with the smoke of rams. I shall make an offering of bulls with male goats, Selah. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, And he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity or wickedness, rather, in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. We have a connection in that last couple of verses with the previous psalm when it says in verse 2 of Psalm 65 O you who hear prayer to you all men come and of course the psalms are prayers they're filled with prayers but here's an individual there it was all men coming to pray to God but here's an individual who comes to God who trusts that God has heard. Who trusts that God had heard his voice and he praises God because God answered his prayer. And God is worthy of our praise. And that single individual in this psalm is viewed by some to be an individual such as a priest or perhaps a king And I don't know if you noticed that in verse 13 it went from kind of a plural focus to an I. Verse 13, I shall come, I shall pay my vows. Verse 15, I shall offer to you burnt offerings. But prior to that and the beginning of the psalm, there's a global focus. There's an invitation to all the earth to sing glorious praise to God. And he's worthy of it. He is worthy of it. Notice that. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. All the earth, all the continents, all the nations, all the tribes, all the peoples whether on islands or in the backside of a desert. The call of this psalm is to all of the earth to shout joyfully, to bring exuberant, enthusiastic praise to God. And he's worthy of it. Why? Because he's the creator. Why? Because he's the redeemer. Why? Because he's sovereign. Because he's the self-existent God. And not only is he to be praised with a loud shout, but verse 2 says, Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. And I don't know about you, but it's a wonderful thing to be in a large congregation of singers and hear the swell of all those voices. But what would it be like to be singing with all of the nations with all of the peoples, together, to God, giving him glorious praise. Certainly just the number would bring (laughs) glorious praise. But for that melody and for that harmony, all to be joined together, worshiping God, and he's worthy of that. He's worthy of glorious praise. There is no one like him. He excels all of his creatures. There's not an angel in heaven that can even be compared to God. Psalm 89 says, For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, the psalmist asks, Who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. You yourself crushed Rahab like one who was slain. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. The north and the south, you've created them. Tabor and Hermon, which are mountains, shout for joy at your name. And so there's really, obviously, no one like our God. There's no one worthy of such praise but him. And his praise, because of how great he is, is glorious in terms of the numbers, but according to who he is and all of the attributes of God, all the songs that we sing that praise God for who he is, a glorious name, I would put it this way, deserves glorious praise. He is to be praised for all that he is. And, of course, he is eternally so, and so he's worthy of eternal praise by all of the peoples that he has made. One writer said we should do all in our power to make the worship of God not only decent, proper, not only solemn, he says, not only impressive, but glorious. And uh, I think we all could grow, certainly even our church could grow in the way that we give praise to God. We do give him praise, but we could grow in our ability to praise him as he's deserving. And may the Lord help us. We're not just left to wonder as to what we're to praise God for in this psalm. Notice in verse 3 it says, Say to God, how awesome are your works. So when we make his praise glorious, when we show what distinguishes God as God above all his creation, above all of his creatures, one of those truths about God is, is his awesome works, the things that he does that no one else can do. And when the psalmist here says, how awesome are your works, he's not really even giving a measurement per se. He's just magnifying and drawing attention to the greatness of the works of God. We might say something like, how beautiful is that sunset? Well, we're not really trying to capture or measure it. The idea is just to look at it and see the glory of it. And you think about the power of God, because that's what's drawn attention to in verse 3. I think there's some specific exhibitions of his power mentioned in this psalm, but it says in verse 3, because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. Just have to stop and consider the power of God where is the power of God exhibited? In creation, surely. Just look around. Look at the treasures of the snow. Look at the beauty of the seasons. Look at what God has done in this world with all these creatures that he's made, with all the geography, the landscape, the oceans, every creature within. All of that is a testimony to the great power of God. And don't just look down, look up to the heavens and see all the stars and see the sun and the moon and everything that God has done. And on occasion, when we see one of these great storms, we're amazed at the power of God. I think the snow was a testimony to it. I came across and I didn't, uh, haven't seen anything other than a satellite image, but they tracked a lightning bolt, a single lightning bolt. You know how many miles that lightning bolt extended? Some of you may have seen it. One lightning bolt, 477 miles across. Across Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana, one bolt. And how many bolts of lightning are there? This is a testimony to the greatness, the power of God. Job said, Behold, God is exalted. We do not know him. The number of his years are unsearchable, for he draws up the drops of water. They distill from the mist, which the clouds pour down. They drip upon man abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? Behold, he spreads, he spreads his lightning about him, and he covers the depths of the sea, for by these he judges peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. How powerful is God? How great is his praise? We won't be able to exhaust, even in eternity, the greatness of the power of God in our praises. We will continue to praise him for all that he is, including his great power. And the response that we have is worship. If we believe in him, we trust in him, we know that he's our creator, we know that he's our redeemer, but what do his enemies do? Look at verse three. It says, because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned, the idea is hypocritical or false obedience to you. The idea is not that they're uh, hypocritical in, in the sense that they're not, you know, Responding to him. They are responding to him. They're so afraid of such power that they bow, even though their hearts don't correspond, they bow in obedience. They respond to that greatness of God. And I think you can see that uh, even in God's exhibitions of power in history, especially his power in the Exodus. Even Pharaoh at one point bowed before God in the sense that he. Responded in feigned obedience to the power of God after plague after plague came. The frogs, the flies, the Nile turning to blood, the boils, the darkness, all of those things, the plague of the firstborn. And what did Pharaoh do eventually? He didn't do it immediately, and he didn't do it plague after plague, but when the firstborn plague came, he finally said, Get out of here. And, of course, he ran after the children of Israel. But there was a response there that recognized the great power of God and his inability to deal with it. I think we'll see as we get down to verses 5 through 7 that that's a part of what this psalm is drawing attention to is the great power of God displayed in the Exodus, the great power of God displayed as they crossed the Jordan and went into the Promised Land. But there it is that the greatness of God's power will even cause his enemies to give feigned obedience to him. They cower before him when he displays his glorious power. But there's an expectation here in verse 4. There's an anticipation. Uh, There is, you could say, a prophecy here. Something that has not happened On planet earth. All the earth. That is called. To shout joyfully to God. In verse 1. They're called to sing the glory of his name. They're called to make his praise glorious. They're called to say these things. About God's great power. And yes the enemies. Will give feigned obedience. But verse 4 says. All the earth will. Worship you. And. By extension, all the earth will sing praises to you. All the earth will sing praises to your name. That word Sila that you see at the end of that stanza, we have referenced that from time to time. The idea is there's a musical pause there. When there's a musical pause, uh, there's a thought pause. The idea is for some reflection. And so reflecting on that thought, the call to the nations, the invitation to the nations to shout joyfully to God, to make glorious, his praise glorious, to sing to him, and the fact that that will happen, boy, that's not happening now. People are gathered by the thousands to do something else today. But they will gather by the millions, I don't know how many will be on earth at that time, to praise our God. This is not just the teaching of this psalm. It's not just the anticipation of this psalm. Look at Psalm 67. As Israel is praying to God, some have called this the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known upon the earth, Your salvation among all nations. Okay, so there's a global focus. It goes beyond Israel and its tribes to the tribes of the earth, to the nations of the earth, to the world. The salvation that extends to the world that then results in the peoples, plural, verse 3, praising God. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. That's the expectation of Scripture. That the ends of the earth will fear and worship God. This is not just Psalm 66 and 67. It's Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Psalm 86, 8 through 10 There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Psalm 117, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Turn, if you would, to uh, Revelation 15. God has poured out his wrath on the earth. John sees a sign in heaven, Revelation 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord? And glorify your name, for you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And you could go on in Revelation, and the praise gets louder. And yes, evil and sin and sinners and the devil and the beast, the false prophet, they're all being dealt with. What is left when God cleanses all that evil away? When he deals with all of his enemies, and the ones that are left are his own, those who belong to him. And they're from every tongue, tribe, and nation, according to the promise of Scripture. then those who have seen his righteous wrath exercised and have experienced his salvation will bring praise to the Lord. And it's even being anticipated. Because wherever the gospel has gone, where the gospel has been proclaimed, God's praises have begun. And that's a wonderful thing to know that we even have a part in seeing that happen as we participate in the lives of missionaries. But there are many, many others all around the globe who are reaching out and reaching people for Jesus Christ. And when they come to Christ, they're singing the praises of the Lamb. They're singing the praises of God. I don't believe that The psalmist in Psalm 66 is only referring to uh, the time that is to come. There's also praise in the interim. You could say praise to God that's coming wherever the gospel goes. One of the things that came to mind as I was thinking about verse 4 in particular was a portion of a book that I read on the history of Christianity in New Zealand. The gospel went there by means of submissionaries missionaries who went, and as they came, they saw all sorts of abominable sin. It was cannibalism, wickedness at all hands. But then the gospel came, and people started to put their trust in Christ. And then the praises of Christ started to issue forth from those people who had before been so given over to their own lusts and desires. I hope as you read the scriptures, as you consider the scriptures, and you see a passage like Psalm 66 and these other passages that I've referenced, that you have a heart of hope about what is to come. Sometimes we look at scripture, we look at whether it's the book of Revelation or other statements, and there's sort of a dour dark focus that everything's going to get worse and worse and everything's bad and I'm not trying to minimize what scripture says because there is that the antichrist is coming there's great wickedness that will continue to take place on planet earth and great wickedness takes place now but the reality is that in the end, Christ is the victor. Christ will bring the victory, and we will rejoice in him, and we will worship him, and we are not alone. Sometimes we gather like this, and we may be small in number, but... Just think about the rest of the saints who've met around the world just in this generation. But if you gather them all together, together with the angels, together with what God is going to do, as you read through the book of Revelation, and there are martyrs, many martyrs that John can't even number when he's shown a picture of them. And there is a multitude, a multitude, myriads upon myriads of people who will believe in Jesus Christ and who will worship him in the end. And they will give great praise and glory to our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that fills your heart with joy and expectation and gives you encouragement as you serve him and love him. Let's just briefly look at 5 to 7 there. Come, Come and see, the psalmist says, the works of God, who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There, let us rejoice in him. Or there, one translation is there, we did rejoice in him. That was the time in which he acted on their behalf and they gave him praise. But beyond that, it says in verse 7, He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves so there's this invitation to global and glorious praise in the first four verses an expectation of it as well in verse four but now beyond what the psalmist says is praiseworthy, the power of God in verse three he then says here's the exhibitions of God's power in history This is not just an idea. It's not just creation. God has acted in history, and he has done so in such a way that you can look at them. How do you look at them? We have to look at them in the pages of Scripture. But as we look at them in the pages of Scripture, they are truly awesome. What God has done is truly awesome. We throw that word around. But only God is awesome, and only what he does is truly awesome. What did he do? Look at verse 6. He turned the sea into dry land. Now let's turn over to Exodus 14 and just get a view of that. What did he do? He turned the sea into dry land for his people to cross. Exodus chapter 14 gives the account Moses is leading the people. The angel of God is leading by the cloud and pillar of fire by night. Verse 19 tells us the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was a cloud, the cloud, along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so that the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Isaiah says he just made a pathway through the sea. But it wasn't wet. It wasn't muddy at all. It was dry. Look at verse 22. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Can you imagine being Moses? And he's just stretching out his hand and watching the Lord work. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, verse 27, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them, not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Come and see. Come and see the works of God. And we just saw, we read through, but it's a matter of considering what kind of power it took to do that. You couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Give that task to any nation in the world. They couldn't do it. It's not possible. Only God could do that. And for that, he's worthy of praise, that work of salvation from their enemies, delivering them from Egypt, punishing Egypt, punishing Pharaoh, delivering them, and causing them to walk on dry ground so they could get where he had called them to go. Sometimes we read over stories like that and we're so familiar with it that we're not amazed by it. But it's worthy of amazement. Again and again, every time you read it, pay attention to what is going on. See the works of God. Actually consider it and recognize that God is God. He is a God of great power and might. And it's by that might that he brought joy to the nation. At the end of verse 6, it says, There let us rejoice in him, but let's not skip over what else he did. It says, They passed through the river on foot. So that work there at the Red Sea was complemented by, turn to Joshua, chapter 3, the work of enabling Israel to cross over the river, the Jordan River, on dry ground, On foot, look at verse 9 of Joshua 3. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and he will that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, the Jebusite, Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the souls of the feet of the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off. And the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So in The Red Sea, they were side to side. They were like a wall on either side. With regard to the river, they just stopped and stood in a heap far uh, upriver, you might say, from where they were. Verse 14, so when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those which were flowing down toward the Sea of the Ereba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho, and the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood firm, on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. And that's a pretty big nation. And they're all crossing over on dry ground. Another miracle of God, an amazing demonstration of his power. It's interesting, if you read the next chapter, they set and commemorated the place where the priests stood with the ark of the covenant they put stones there so right in the middle of the river there was this heap of stones that must have stuck up above the water at different times and that was to commemorate that was the spot where they stood where the waters went back and it was dry ground and then they took more stones and they went to the place where god had them camp and they put a Monument there is another testimony, 12 more stones from the Jordan to give testimony to the great power of God. And Joshua and the Lord, of course, wanted Israel to understand the greatness of that work and commemorate that work, to remember that work, to think about that work, to think about the power of God and to rejoice. And I just commend to you reading through that next chapter And considering, as we're called to do in the Psalm, consider, see, come and look at the work of God. Verse 7, Psalm 66. Come see the works of God, those historical demonstrations of His power that brought joy to his people. But in verse 7, these demonstrations of his power that should cause his enemies to be humble before him. What are the demonstrations of his power? Well, that same might and power that brought about those great works is that same might and power that he rules in forever. That power does not dissipate as he uses it. It's not as if he has to go get more energy somehow. He has that. It's infinite. It's boundless. And by that might, he rules. And he rules not just in time, but eternity. He has always ruled. He always will rule. And right now, that same God is keeping his eyes on all of the nations. Every single nation. He knows what Russia is up to. He knows what's going on in Ukraine. He knows what China is doing. He sees everything going on in the Olympics. But he also knows what's going on in Venezuela and Chile, the African nations. He knows what's going on in the islands. God keeps watch over all the nations. And of course, he's the judge of all the nations. And because he keeps watch on all the nations, and he's the judge of all the nations, there is no good reason whatsoever that anyone who rebels against him should exalt themselves. It's utter foolishness to rebel against the God of heaven. Look at his power. Just in this psalm, this isn't half an explanation of how powerful he is, but if you just see what he's done and recognize that he rules by that same power forever, do not rebel against the Lord. Isaiah says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely they've been planted. Scarcely they've been sown. Scarcely their stock has taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who's created these stars. The one who leads forth their hosts by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. You know what the next question is? In light of that knowledge, God counts numbers knows all the names of the stars, why in the world do you think you can get away with anything? He sees you too. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice do me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God The creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. One writer said, no one ever hardened himself against God and prospered. And Isaiah said, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands? It is utter foolishness to rebel and to exalt yourself against God. That's what Egypt learned. That's what Pharaoh learned. And that's what everyone is going to learn who rebels against God Almighty. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we bow before you, we thank you for your great power. We thank you that it's displayed not only in creation, but also in redemption and in eternity. But Lord, your power is also displayed in your knowledge of our lives. You see us and know us. We pray that we might never think that we're getting away with any rebellion against you. We pray that we'd humble ourselves before you. And join in the chorus, join in the song, join in the singing of praise to you as our great God. And if there's someone here tonight who needs to turn from their sin, someone who needs to again bow before your mighty power, submit themselves to you as the Lord, Lord, we ask that you'd help them to do so. We ask, Lord, that you would help us all to worship you as we ought. And we ask these things and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.